Hey everybody, this is Ruben, and you're listening to Amazing Stories. By Lucy Catherine. Dear Mark, will you love me when I'm gone? Dawn, Tuesday. When I stepped inside the hollow trunk of the witch elm, it was completely dark. Now the first rays of weak winter sunlight are falling on the mountains of broken concrete and brickwork that once formed the Harland shopping mall. I am here now, at this moment, inside the tree, but it exists simultaneously in other worlds too, one laid over another, the past, the present and the future, contained within the same space. This is a sacred place. And Sarah's with me. I hear her voice in my head. Throughout time it has been sacred and it will continue to be so. The ancestors chose it with care, guided by the goddess, speaking to them in the first language. The language of the hills, the rivers, and of the forest. I lie on the ground listening to Sarah telling her stories, curled up with my knees hugged into my chest for warmth, in almost the exact spot where we found Evie Bennett. This is Hairland, sacred to Melangeth and the Hair Witches, Even when this turn of the wheel is complete and everything is swept away, its power will endure. Time is running out, Sadie said. Be ready, Dan. You will have a part to play. I am awake. I don't understand how he got in there. Firstly, he got past a significant amount of fencing. And secondly, you've got a dog. Isn't he trained to stop intruders? He did something to him. What do you mean? He drugged him or something. I don't know. It was weird. Why didn't you call this in straight away? I was hoping he'd leave of his own accord and it wouldn't be an issue. But all the data is saying that he's still on site somewhere. The call handler reports you were saying that he claimed to have been an employee here in the past. Well, that's what he told me. He said it was a nostalgia trip. He broke into a building site for old time's sake. I'm not making this up. Show him the photo. Recognise him? Yes. That's the fella. Then perhaps what we have here is Daniel Goldman returned to the scene of his crimes. Organise the uniforms. Let's flush him out. Through a small split in what remains of the Witch Elm's trunk, I watch D.S. Shukri preparing to address the search team. Before she does, she gives an anxious glance, scanning across the whole site. My crow is with me, and so I know what I must do. I break cover and bolt across the jagged piles of rubble towards the fence. I trip and graze my shin. The police have spotted me by now, but luckily, I have an ally. You get this dog Far from taking a dislike to me, Gripper is very much on my side, buying me precious moments with a display of frenzied barking. I reach the fence, shimmy up the scaffolding supports and over the top. Pausing only to pay tribute. Thank you, Gripper. I'm sorry. He didn't deserve to die. Get after him! On the other side of the fence, I wonder if I'd run out of luck, out of road, until I hear a familiar sound approach. 
I'm the man. Uh, do I know you? Get on. The quad bike takes us to the edge of Harland and into the countryside beyond until we arrive at a little house. It stands all alone with thick green woodland stretching out behind it. My sister used to live here. Come inside. We go in. Stairs directly in front of the door. A cosy sitting room to the left. The glowing coals of a recent fire in the grate. Wow, a real fire. Isn't that illegal? Come on, Malengis. A black cat follows her into the tiny kitchenette next to the sitting room and watches intently as she rehydrates a pouch of food taken from a cupboard. Time for your supper. Unusual name for a cat. Jessica named her. My sister. She was a complete obsessive. After she's fed the cat, she makes us tea and toast and gets the fire going again. We eat in silence, both gazing at the ever-changing patterns in the flames. You're right. What about? The fire is illegal here. Clean air eggs. But there's something primal about a real flame. I've remembered where I know you from. You were clearing fish from the lake, the park ranger. Janice. I knew it began with a J. Oh, I obviously made an impression. How did you know where to find me? Sadie messaged. Told me to try and get you out of there before the search team had properly deployed. She's really annoyed with you, by the way. She couldn't believe you ran from me last night, then almost got yourself caught. After all the risks she's taken on your behalf. I don't really know who to trust. Oh, get over yourself. What's your problem? You wouldn't understand. Are you sulking because I didn't call you? What? Well, I know I sort of half-arsed you out for a drink. Uh, No, you fully asked me out. Well, I didn't follow up, Uh, but that was no reflection on you. I wasn't interested anyway. I felt sorry for you, so I said yes. Uh, Well, same. That's why I asked in the first place. I'm actually a lesbian. Well, me too. Oh, whatever. Look... Things have been a real struggle for me lately. I've been barred from all contact with the outside world for six weeks. I have to take drugs morning and night or the justice team will have me locked up again, even though I've not committed any crime. They have me under suspicion of murdering my supervisor, burning down the mall, abducting a baby, and... Well, now I'm on the run, which is not going to look good if they ever do decide to take me to court. Cut me some slack, maybe. You haven't got a clue. I'm sorry, okay? Your sister, I I know... She didn't commit suicide, whatever the official verdict says. What do you think happened to her? Whatever happened, it was connected to this. She points to the ring on the index finger of her right hand. A silver band, a round piece of blue enamel in the setting. On it, in silver... The image of an elongated hair leaping over the moon. The letter M below in strange medieval lettering. She was chief researcher for the Order of Melengith for several years, tracing the lineage of the hair witches. She ended up dead. Make of that what you will. Mr Fordingbridge set that group up so he could identify the hair witches and protect them. He told me so himself. And why do you think he told you that? Well, he wanted to reassure me. Before I went into the exclusion zone looking for Sarah. What did he want with her? He wanted me to find her so that he could help. That's not the reason. You're involved, Dan. 
deeply involved. There's no way to escape it. Let me show you something. She beckons me to the door on the other side of the stairs, opposite the sitting room. Jangling a large bunch of keys, she carefully selects one and unlocks it. Inside is an office. Books and files cover the entirety of the desk and half the floor space. Dusty cobwebs in every corner. Sun-bleached maps pinned haphazardly on the walls. My sister's office. Like I said, she was a complete obsessive. Ever considered getting a cleaner? Yeah, it was more orderly before the police search. They basically trashed the place. I tried to understand her filing system, but I couldn't figure it out. So I've just left everything pretty much where they tossed it. I see. Plenty of fuel for that illegal fire in here. This was what she was working on. Opening a drawer in the desk, she takes out a large notebook. So stuffed with material it doesn't shut properly. She hands it to me. On the cover, a title written in intricate calligraphy. Witchcraft and Persecution. A history of the Harland Hair Witches. Part of that history was tracing the four lines. Four lines? According to her research... There are always four hair witches. This status is passed down the matriarchal line. The closest living female relative becomes a hair witch at the precise moment her predecessor passes. Here. Her finger traces down a line of names, each with birth and death dates in brackets alongside. Comes to a halt next to a name well known to me. Molly Angelina Goldmond, May 31st, 1991, to December 14th, 2030. Your mother, Dan. My mother, the hair witch. I've been waiting a long time for you to find me. Sarah took me to meet her when we were together in the other world. What did I always tell you? That I'm special? She was one of the four. You're the son of a hair witch, Dan. That's how deeply you're involved. It follows the female line. She died over 20 years ago. I stopped being involved then, presumably. Jess couldn't discover where it went next. I don't have any female relatives. In fact, I don't have any relatives at all apart from my dad. Or any friends, for that matter. Yet the only female in my life in this world is my crow. Your crow? A, a crow sits outside my window and wakes me up every morning. How do you know she's waking you up specifically? I don't know exactly. I can sort of understand what she's saying. Somehow I understand what she's thinking. You can speak to crows? One crow and one dog. Yeah, I also spoke to a dog. How'd you do that? I'm not sure. It, it kind of started when I went into the exclusion zone around the sinkhole. I thought the crow might be a messenger from Sarah, but then there was the dog thing. They can't both be her, can they? Wait there. Janice runs out of the room and I glance down once more at my mum's name and the date she died. Stark on the page. It's too painful to look at. So I ease the book closed. Can you tell what she's thinking? Uh, Janice returns with the cat. Go on, give it a try. You may have powers of some sort that might come in useful. She's hungry. Are you reading her mind? No, it's an assumption. Cats are always hungry. Oh, you're not taking this seriously. Well, I don't even know what you want from me. I want you to help me find out who killed my sister. I have no idea how to do that. Look in the book. 
Jess identified the four lines of the Harland Hair Witches. One line led to Evie Bennett, one to Sarah Ward, one to your mother. Three of the lines she was researching end with people linked to the sinkhole and the events that followed. That's not a coincidence. It's all connected. We just need to work out how. Janice has a shift, so I'm left alone in the house. She carefully locks the office and takes the key before she goes, but lets me keep hold of the history of the Harland hair witches. I turn back to the page with Mum's name at the end of a long list of names stretching back hundreds of years. The second list ends with Sarah's name, the third with Evie's. The final list ends with the name of a woman called May Tucker, born 1960, and there are no further details about her. I think about Mum, the stories she told, the odd things she would do, like burying the cat in a cavity in the wall when he died for protection. She suddenly seems so vivid in my imagination, but really she's just a name and some dates in an obscure book that will never be finished. Come on, Melangus. The cat settles peacefully on my lap. I turn back to the beginning of the book. The first chapter discusses the cult of St. Melangeth, whose shrine once stood where the lake is now, between the hospital and Harlan shopping mall. Melangeth lived in the 7th century, an Irish princess who fled to Wales to escape a marriage her father was intent on forcing upon her. It is said she survived alone in the wilderness for 15 years and never once looked upon the face of a man. One day, Brockwell, the young prince of Powys, was out on the hills, hair-coursing with his hounds. There! There she goes! A hare bolts from its hiding place, and the slavering dogs chase it into a thicket. There they stop, barking and howling, but refusing to follow the prey into the undergrowth. Brockwell rages with frustration. Huntsman! Sound the horn! Command the dogs to pursue! Yes, my lord. What is it, Anne? Sound the horn! I cannot... Blow, damn you! Sire, forgive me. It wants him to stick to my lips. Then, from out of the thorn bushes, untouched by their barbs, a woman emerges. Milangeth. Radiant in her beauty. In her arms, the hair that had been the quarry of the hounds. Others shelter beneath her skirts or pad softly beside her. <sighs> Brockwell is overcome by the mysterious power of this scene and falls to his knees as if witness to a vision. Madam, pray tell us, who are you? My name is Melangeth. I have lived in these woods alone and in peace for 15 years, contemplating my devotion to God. Truly, there is something holy about your presence. We are lucky to have you here. If you will do me the honour, I would grant you the land upon which we stand for the founding of an abbey, of which you shall become the abbess. This is the traditional Christian version of the story, as told down the centuries by the Welsh bards until finally being written down in the 18th century. Jess Clark uncovers an alternative version, similar in content but entirely different in conclusion. In this version, Melangeth is not a meek and gentle virgin. This is an older, wilder interpretation of who she was, the one which explains why the hares flocked to her and appeared to know why they would be safe under her protection. Madam, pray tell us, who are you? I am Melangeth. 
I have lived in these woods in peace for 15 years, worshipping them and all who make their home here. This is Melangeth, the Hair Witch. Everything has a voice. Once we all understood the common language of creation, the first language, used by the goddess to make the world, a tongue to carry all the ancient wisdom. Mysterious, powerful, bringer of life. You hunt the hare for your sport only because you are too ignorant, too arrogant to hear what they have to say. And one day, this ignorance will bring about your certain destruction. My sisters and I shall return to see that it does. In the end, she is the bringer of death. Ow! Ah, that hurts! I'm awoken by the cat pouring at my chest, the claws digging in just enough to make me jump. I glance at the clock. I was only asleep a couple of minutes. Never underestimate the benefits of a power nap. You can't be hungry again already. That's simply not possible. The cat looks at me with big eyes, giving off strong, feed-me vibes, which gets me thinking. I am supposed to be lying low, I know that. Janice left me with strict instructions not to answer the door to anyone or to do anything that might arouse suspicion. I am on the run, after all. However, a man does have to eat, and she has conveniently left her credit chip on the mantelpiece. I order pizza under a fake name. Don Silvermouth. A clever play on Dan Goldman. (laughs) Yeah, I'm pleased with that. So pleased, I celebrate by splashing out on a ham and pineapple primo with four cheeses. Uh, Well, Janice does. I hope she won't mind. At last. By the time it arrives, I'm famished. I could eat a scabby cat. Oh, uh, no offence, Melangeth. Coming. Done. Uh, yeah, that's me. Pizza. Uh, thanks a lot. Yep. A glorious smell coming from the box is a powerful distraction. So powerful that the delivery guy calling me by my actual name only strikes me as odd a microsecond before the door's kicked in. Oh, Jesus! No, Dan, it's your father. How did you find me? You left a digital trail the width of an eight-lane highway when you ordered that pizza. I got the delivery guy to check it was definitely you before I kicked the door in. How considerate. I've found you, so you can bet your life the justice team will too. We have to get you out of here. Where? The manor house. Mr Fordingbridge. He's not going to want to shelter a known fugitive. He will, believe me. He wants to see you. Darius Fordingbridge can rightly be called the father of modern Harland. He chose this place for his company's headquarters. He designed and built the model town to go alongside it. An architectural vision of how things might be in a better world. Keep out of sight till we're through the security gates. Code accepted. Welcome to the manor house. The house is screened from view by patches of woodland either side of the long gravel drive. Okay. Sit up now. We're inside the grounds. That's a relief. What were you thinking taking off like that? You're behaving like a guilty person. Seemed like a good idea at the time. It was a terrible idea. You're messing with things you don't understand. Oh, and you do, I suppose. Not me. Mr. Fordingbridge does. Dad takes me inside the house, guiding me to a big room on the first floor. The antique furniture and the artworks on the wall are intimidating. The room smells faintly of mice. A long time passes. 
When the door does finally open, it's only one of the domestics. Good afternoon, sir. My name is Dom Rob. Mr. Fordingbridge sends sincere apologies for the delay. Is there anything you require while you are waiting? Do you have a AAA pass for this place? Dom Rob is not authorised to access all areas of the house. I am, however, permitted to draw you a bath, provide a light lunch and other miscellaneous victuals, play chess, and facilitate you in placing a phone call or logging onto the net. Have you got access to pizza? Margarita or Neapolitan? Uh, ham and pineapple primo four cheese. I was due one of those earlier, but oh, had to leave it behind. That was Mr Fordingbridge messaging. He is ready to see you. Oh, it's just one of those days where ham and pineapple is always close, but just out of reach. <laughs> well, let's get straight to it. Dom Rob escorts me to a passageway on the ground floor. I am not permitted beyond this point. Please follow the corridor to the end. The war room is through the last door on the right. Thanks for your help. I am here to serve. Have a wonderful afternoon. The war room is as I remember it. Sparsely furnished, cold and empty. I sit down on the floor, leaning against the bare stone wall. A long time passes. I guess Fordingbridge must be shuffling his way here incredibly slowly. Daniel, how are you? No one calls me Daniel. Rested and relaxed, I hope. <laughs> Do you like my new toy? So much easier to navigate the corridors and staircases on our hover chair. It looks fun. You know... You really should not have gone AWOL like that. You've drawn unnecessary attention to yourself. How is that any of your business? It's everyone's business. The future depends on it. What are you talking about? The prophecy. What prophecy? The vision of St. Malangath. She prophesied that under certain extreme conditions, the four... Hair witches would unite and perform a ritual to bring about the end of days. The end of the world's been predicted loads of times, and it's never happened. Nonetheless, I became convinced there was something to it. That the hair witches could be a potentially existential threat. I set up the Order of Melangath to uncover the truth. Everything they found confirmed my belief. If the hair witches come together, it will presage the rise of the darkness, the apocalypse. You said before you wanted to find them to protect them. It was necessary then to be cautious about how information was presented to you. Morris informed me that you had developed an emotional attachment to Sarah Oud. I could hardly count on your help if we painted her as a monster. <laughs> Look, you've got this all wrong. Sarah's lovely. She doesn't want to blow everything up. Why would she want to do that? The hair witches will be the instigators. I am convinced of it. Why? The world that we know, our way of life with its comforts and conveniences, is toxic to them. They want to destroy it. And we have to stop them. You sound completely paranoid. Things are coming to a head. If we allow them to come together, they will devastate all that we love. 
This is life and death. Not just for me or you. For everyone and everything. I call on you to assist in an endeavor that is essential if we are to keep what we have. Which side are you on? I take a walk in the Rose Garden to think things through. Is the apocalypse really only a moment away? It doesn't feel like it. Standing here listening to the birds singing and the water tumbling down the little stream. But there is no water in the stream and no birds in the trees. Things are not what they seem. Dan, are you all right? Why does he have the sound of a babbling stream playing on the speakers when the water dried up weeks ago? I think he's hoping the sound might encourage it to rain. It's not very scientific. It is possible to be a man of science and a man of superstition. What exactly is he planning to do about the witches? Once you understand how dangerous they are, you might think the best approach would be to just kill them. Strangely, Dad, that wasn't my first instinct. Won't work. When a hair witch dies, another is immediately born, or rather, awakened. This one could pop up anywhere and be totally off the radar. It's much better to have them alive and under close observation. What does he want from me? You have an affinity with them. Connection. That could be a very useful asset in the conflict. I find you quite scary sometimes. Why is that? Where do you draw the line? Is there anyone you wouldn't kill in order to survive? I've explored a range of possible solutions on behalf of Mr Fordingbridge. There's no harm in a hypothetical scenario. You're psychotic. How can you say that? I've raised you all these years. I've been dreaming about Mum. You're under pressure. Things are bound to be stirred up. You know, I don't remember how you reacted when it happened. It was a long time ago. Did you even shed a tear when she died? We both shed tears. A lot of tears. You were young. In pain. All the memories have been suppressed. I have this vivid picture of her getting us kids to do apple bobbing on Halloween. I caught the apple. She told me I was special. She was good like that. Where were you? Working, I expect. I just don't remember you being around. I worked long hours back then. Well, you still do. I'll come inside. I'll be dark soon. He heads back to the house. The temperature seems to rise a couple of notches as he departs. That's how cold I find him. I look out on the barren field beyond the empty stream. In the distance, the faintest of movements catches my eye. In the gateway to the field, standing on its hind legs and looking directly at me, barely discernible against the brown soil, a magnificent hare. We gaze at one another for what seems like an age before it turns and runs. When the time comes, I must be ready. And I set off in pursuit. Thank you for listening, and don't forget to join us tomorrow for yet another amazing story.